Good morning, friends. The way we use language can sometimes be a problem, can't it? Especially if, like me, you're maybe not the most careful or exact or concise in the way that you sometimes use language. I was speaking to Scott and Harley this last week and was sharing about how much I love my time at university. And one of the things I loved about my time at university was the incredible brains of the lecturers there, but also the way that, for example, in a Q&A, if you were to throw a question at them, they were so effortlessly exact, not all of them, but most of them, effortlessly exact in the way that they would filter the information in their, in their head and then just slowly and calmly share the most profound and awesome answer. I just used to love beholding this, partly because I knew that that's not me and we're all wired differently and I just used to think this was awesome. Um, we're not always as careful as that with language, are we? And one of the words that I think uh, we're often, we often throw around uh, a, a lot in our culture is the subject for today's final Advent sermon, and it's the word love. I'm sure you can all think of multiple ways that the word love is used in our culture. I used to have a couple of Google Keep notes which I would uh, you know, randomly update as I saw things that just sparked something in me. And one of them was called things I dislike, things that made me mad in the world. And one was called things I love. And here's the first two things on the list of things I love. This is from back in 2011, but I do still love these things. First one says this, when a shop keeps its selection of drinks extremely cold. I love that. I can't handle kind of warm drinks. So I actually at one point thought, hey, let's start an app where people can crowdsource and vote for how cold a particular shop's drinks are. Yes. If anyone wants to come in on that little business venture, just <laughs> let me know. Um, the second thing on my list says, when someone has pre-opened the bags, the plastic bags at the self-service checkout, so I can casually drop my items in rather than stand there for 16 minutes trying to open the bag. My goodness, I do love that when they're all ready for you. You just pierce the street. <laughs> I actually wrote these things down and dated them in 2011. I do love those things. Here are a few other things I love. Liverpool FC, fish and chips, a comfy pair of slacks, my kids, Terence Malick movies, a good scented candle, peeling the plastic off a new gadget, my wife, a creative gift that someone uses that just beautifully closes off a conversation thread. My sermon prep Spotify playlist. It's awesome. If you need some nice peaceful music to work with, let me know and I'll, I'll send you a link. And on and on. I could go, I love all those things to varying degrees. And I love God. Or first, more importantly, We'll get to that. God loves me. And you can see the, the problem, can't you? Now, I don't want to be the language police and I don't want people to be like that with me. I don't think we should get too uptight or, or worried about these sorts of things. But I should, and I do, want to distinguish between the kind of love that I have for my family and the love I have for Lowe's Fish and Chip Shop in West Hill. And I certainly do want to be clear, not just now in this message, but in my daily life, how I think and live and act. I do want to be clear that the love of God shown in Jesus, shared with me, known and embraced by me, shared with others, reflected back to God, 
the type of love that God shares with us is in a category all of its own. Nothing else comes close. And in those wonderful verses that Kyle read for us, there are a number of things we learn about the love of God. So two things we learn and two implications of this for us. The first thing is this, love originates from God. We have to start here before we think about how this impacts us, how this feels for us and so on. We have to understand the source of what we're talking about here. Now, I just said the source of what we're talking about and that's right, but it's incomplete to say what we're talking about here. You could could say we have to start, I have to understand who we're talking about here. This passage says both things. I hope you can follow along along in 1 John chapter 4. In verse 7, we're told that love is from God. So we have to know what we're talking about. Well, it's something that is from God, but we all have to know who we're talking about. In verse 8, and then also in verse 16, we have this wonderful little phrase, which you will have heard before, many of you, I'm sure. God is love. And in verse 9, which we'll look at in a bit more detail later, we we see that love is shown to us by God. So, true love is God giving of himself. God giving of himself. If you want to think in pictures, think not of a gift handed to someone. As meaningful and as powerful and beautiful as that can be, a, a gift is external from that person. It's detached. This is not how we should think about God's love. Think instead of the picture of the rays from the sun. Yes, in a sense, they they emanate from the sun, but in a very real sense, those rays are the sun. They are the radiating presence of the essence of what the sun is. And this now brings us to our next point, and it brings us back to this time of Advent. Because when we think about God's love being God giving of himself, we come back to Advent and something that is made explicit in these verses, which is this. Secondly, God's love is displayed in Jesus. Love originates from God and God's love is displayed in Jesus. When you think about love coming from God, And when you think about God being love, Jesus might already have come to mind. In Hebrews verse one, sorry, Hebrews chapter one, verse three says this, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. So that second part is that Jesus is God. He is the exact imprint of the nature of God. And first part of the verse, the radiance of of God's glory, he shines forth from God. Not detached, but like powerful rays bursting forth from the very core of who God is. We see this in the opening verses of John's gospel as well. In the beginning was the word, speaking of Jesus, the word was with God, in a sense, removed from God, separate from God, but the Word was God. And then a few verses later, we read, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's talking about Jesus' birth. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, 
full of grace and truth. This is the love of God. God himself giving of himself. And that gift shining forth in in splendour and majesty, full of grace and truth and indeed every other infinitely wonderful aspect of the character of God. And, And we see this, that God's love is displayed in Jesus in two key ways in this passage in 1 John chapter 4. We see it in Jesus coming and we see the display of God's love in Jesus dying. We see this in verses 9 and 10. These are our key verses here. And you can hear in these verses how John is trying to find as many ways as possible to describe the love of God to us. So first of all, we see God's love displayed in Jesus in his coming. Verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God has Sorry, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. The love of God is displayed in the sending of Jesus, the very son of God. And here we get the the first glimpse in these verses of the wonder of what this means for us. I'll read it again. In this, the love of God was made manifest, was known, was, was displayed among us that God sent his son into the world so that we might live through him. There is a kind of life different to the one we're born with, which Jesus can bring to us. And this is the very reason that God gave of himself like this. He sent his son so that we might live through him. So there's, there's life on offer here. There's life on offer even as you watch this message just now. And hear God's word. There's life on offer through Jesus coming. And then secondly, we see God's love displayed in his dying. This is the next verse. You see John's going on here. He says, in this is love. He's just said in verse 9 that it's through God giving his son. And then in verse 10 he says again, in this is love. In this is love. John's describing God's love over and over. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. We're going to get to that word just now. Verse 9, Jesus came so that we could know life. And now verse 10, this is how that works. We get some crucial detail on why Jesus came in verse 10. And it says there, he came to be the propitiation for our sins. Now this is not a word that we do throw around in our culture, is it? It's a 16th century English word derived originally from Latin and the famous old version of the Bible, the King James version of the Bible, used this word here to describe a very specific thing that Jesus did. And this is uh, the English Standard Version, the ESV, and they made the decision, different to other translations, they made the decision to keep this word in, propitiation, because it speaks to something so precious and so unique. I'm not, I'm not precious personally about whether that was the right call or not. I can see both sides. But, but here, this is precious. This is glorious. Let me explain to you what propitiation means. That Jesus is the propitiation for our sins means 
that he is the one who bears the consequence for our sins, for us, in our place, so that God and us can be at peace. Jesus, in being the propitiation for our sins, Jesus is put forward as an offering to stand in our place. And he, in the cross, he absorbed in himself what should have come to us, namely the right and just judgment of God against sin. Jesus took that on himself so we don't have to. This is what it means for Jesus to be the propitiation for our sins. This is why the NIV translates this little term as atoning sacrifice. It's a sacrifice. Jesus gave his life, absorbing the punishment for our sins so that we can know peace with God, so that we can be at one with God, brought together with him. Now, this is the this is truth of eternal wonder and infinite glory. And yes, I accept there are so many huge issues raised here which would require much soul wrestling and, and long conversation which we don't have time to get into here. The point for now, and John just drops this in, in his effort of describing the love of God. The point is first that Jesus was sent by God so that we might know life. And then we would want to know, well, how does that happen? And it happens, verse 10, by Jesus taking on himself the punishment for sin that should be ours by being the propitiation for our sins. God is love. That love is the sharing of himself so that we might know life instead of death, peace with God instead of separation from God in judgment. Jesus is love. And listen to how John celebrates this in verse 14. We have seen and we testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Saviour of the world. What a gift. What love. Come to this Jesus today and know the wonderful love of God. The two implications of this as we come to close. First of all, yes, come to Jesus. Find rest in this. Find who you are in this. First implication, abide in God's love. Especially from verse 13 onwards, we see the significance of this. Let's just read verse 15 and 16. And I think in these verses we have an allusion to both the simplicity of the good news of Jesus and the profound mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, so verse 15 says this, Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So whoever says yes to Jesus and all that he is, God lives in you. And mystery of mysteries, you live in God. It's so simple in one sense. You just confess that Jesus is who he says he is. You just say yes to God. But it's also just so mind-boggling that God lives in me and I live in God just wonderful and then I love how verse 16 starts where it says 
Um, so we have come to know and to believe. We've come to the sense of journey, the sense of understanding this. It's not simple. It's, it's, it's a struggle. We, we, it's something we come to know. And then it says this, we have come to know and to believe, to rely on. The NIV says it's not easy, but we have come to that point. Come to know and to believe that the love, sorry, the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. Do you see this talk of abiding, remaining, staying, living with? Dear friend, abide in God. Come to Jesus and stay there. Abide in his love. Know his life in you that that brings rest in his presence in your life acknowledged there in verse 13 given of us by his spirit live in the love of God he will never let you go remember Jesus words this is one of John's letters in in John's gospel record of Jesus life in John 10 verse 27, listen to Jesus' words. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Rest in that. Know that. Remain. Abide. Live in that. And the second implication of this great truth that Jesus is love is that we then love others. This is actually the main point of what John's getting at this part of his letter. So verses 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another. And then he goes on to explain. That's the stuff that we've been thinking of just now. But his main point is, his challenge here is, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Or verse 11, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. He goes on to say that if someone says, I love God, but hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. And the point here in this little flow of this passage here, the point is that Jesus' love, God's sharing of himself, come to him. And if you do, if you know God in you and you in God, abiding in his love, if you do that, you will love others. If God's love is in you, it shows in how you treat others. The point of Advent, dear friends, is that God's love has flesh and bones. The point of the gospel is that God's love comes to us in real presence. Yes, first and foremost in Jesus, but then in the way that God has ordained for his work to continue, God's love now comes to us still in flesh and bones and in real presence in us, in his church. All of us in whom the love of Christ rests and dwells in our hearts. Those touched by God's love, share it. Are you loving others like this? Not just in your heart, not just in philosophy, 
but in real action, real presence. The point of this passage is that Jesus' love dwelling among us, shining forth the glory of God, full of grace and truth, and that this is now to be God's people, dwelling with others, radiant with God's glory, full of grace and truth. Have you come to Jesus? Better than any hobby, any relationship here on earth, any dream, success or earthly comfort, know the love of God in this Advent season. May it be so for us increasingly and may that love spread among us to the glory of God. Amen.